right, now would you please stand with me as we read our text for this morning? <clears throat> it's Hebrews 8, and we're going to read um, verses 1 through 13. <clears throat> and if you have the Pew Bibles, that's, I think, on page 1005, too. So Hebrews 8, 1 through 13. Uh, listen carefully as we read God's word together. Now, the point in what we are saying is this. We have such a high priest, one who is seated at the right hand of the throne of the majesty in heaven, a minister in the holy places, in the true tent that the Lord set up, not man. For every high priest is appointed to offer gifts and sacrifices. Thus, it is necessary for this priest also to have something to offer. Now, if he were on earth, he would not be a priest at all, since there are priests who offer gifts according to the law. They serve a copy and shadow of the heavenly things. For when Moses was about to erect the tent, he was instructed by God saying, see that you make everything according to the pattern that was shown you on the mountain. But as it is, Christ has obtained a ministry that is much more excellent than the old as the covenant he mediates is better since it is enacted on better promises. For if that first covenant had been faultless, there would have been no occasion to look for a second. For he finds fault with them when he says, Behold, the days are coming, declares the Lord, when I will establish a new covenant with the house of Israel and with the house of Judah. Not like the covenant that I made with their fathers on the day when I took them by the hand to bring them out of the land of Egypt. For they did not continue in my covenant. And so I showed no concern for them, declares the Lord. For this is the covenant that I will make with the house of Israel after those days, declares the Lord. I will put my laws into their minds and write them on their hearts. And I will be their God and they shall be my people. And they shall not teach each one his neighbor and each one his brother saying, know the Lord. For they shall all know me from the least of them to the greatest. For I will be merciful toward their iniquities and I will remember their sins no more. In speaking of a new covenant, he makes the first one obsolete. And what is becoming obsolete and growing old is ready to vanish away. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks, God. Uh, let's pray together. Father, thank you for your word and we thank you for your promises. Thank you that you keep each one. And I pray that this morning you would just help eliminate all the distractions of our lives and of the world around us so that we can focus on you and what you have to say to us today. And we ask this in Christ's name. Amen. You can be seated. <clears throat> All right. Um, so I don't know how many of you are into like TED Talks. I'm not particularly, but I work in a world that is. And so there's this one particular TED Talk that I did find interesting by Simon Sinek, who's like an entrepreneur and speaker. And I think the name of it, if you were to Google it, is called The Importance of Why. Like W-H-Y, Why. Um, and so basically the point of his TED Talk is a lot of businesses and a lot of companies and a lot of ideas sound good on paper, right? But if, if you don't have a clearly defined why, like a, a clearly defined what makes this different or unique um, or substantial, then those ideas and those businesses and so on aren't really lasting. They don't really go anywhere. Uh, they're really not that impactful in the end for the world around us. And so it. It's coming from a secular perspective, but it is really interesting. And I think it has a lot to do with kind of how people view the spiritual world, too. Uh, we can look at the things of God and we can wonder what the point is to those things, right? We can wonder why we should care, why our lives 
should be impacted, why we should orient our lives around uh, what we see and hear so clearly in God's word. And I think that's a moment that we're coming to in, in the text today. So this is the writer of Hebrews kind of explaining the why behind everything he said up to this point. And, and that's crucial for us to understand, I think, as we move forward and look at the rest of Hebrews and what he has to say. Um, and so as, as you can probably remember, based on all the things that we've said and talked about in previous weeks, kind of the main point in the book is that Jesus is what? Better. better. Yeah, very good. All right. That's encouraging. We're starting on a good note. Um, and so that's, that's important, right? Jesus is better, but why is he better? And I think the writer has done a helpful job to this point, kind of showing us how he is better, right? He showed us that, that he is more supreme and, and all these things. And we're going to get into some of that this morning. But what are the implications of that, I think, is what we really need to kind of wrestle with and look at. If he's, if he's really better, if he's really superior, if he's really the great high priest who intercedes for us eternally and perfectly, why is that significant? And what are the implications of that? And I think that really gets at kind of the heart of, of why this is such an important text for us, right? Because we can know a lot of things about Jesus and know a lot of things about his word without really understanding why or how we should be impacted, right? We can, we can know a lot in our, in our heads, but we're not changed by it in our hearts, put another way. And so our text this morning is, is really helpful and really clear in, in showing us why we should be changed by what we know about the Lord. And so if you're taking notes this morning, um, we're going to see a couple of things as we're making our way through the text. So the first one is that in Jesus, we see why the heavenly priesthood is unique. And so that's kind of a recap of what we've been talking about in previous weeks, um, looking at the first part of, of this chapter. And we're also going to see that in Jesus, we see why the new covenant that God has made with his people is needed. And then the third thing we're going to see is that in Jesus, we see why we can have eternal hope. And so this first, first point, so in Jesus we see why the heavenly priesthood is unique. I don't know how many of you like children's literature or books, um, but I have little kids, and so I like children's books, right? But there's one in particular that's kind of a classic called The Secret Garden, which our girls really like a lot. And in that story, if you don't know it, there's a young girl named Mary Lennox who kind of goes to live with a rich uncle on his estate. Um, and she's just kind of a miserable girl, like has never really been loved, like never experienced a lot of affection from other people. And so she's looking for some excitement in this kind of drab house that she moves into. And as she's there, she learns that there's this garden kind of tucked away on the estate somewhere uh, that her uncle's wife used to go and spend a lot of time in and, um, and really tend to, but that wife died and then it was all walled up and, and closed off. Right. And so Mary Lennox is very determined. And so she spends a lot of time trying to find that garden. And then one day um, she eventually finds a key that's buried kind of near where the main gate of that garden is. And then she uses that, unlocks the door, and there's this beautiful space, right, that she kind of spends the rest of the book uh, with her friends, kind of rejuvenating and, and fixing up and returning to its former glory. But so much of that story is centered inside this beautiful garden, right? And it's kind of a story in a lot of ways about how this girl and her friends, a lot of people who are just broken in different ways, uh, we're finding new life. They're finding a fresh start. And they're finding it there. And so that's, that's a helpful point as we think about this text. This, this text is almost like 
a key that is opening up this thing that we've heard a lot about. So the, the writers, he's told us up to this point a lot about who Jesus is, right? A lot about his supremacy, a lot about how he is different. Um, and then this is kind of a hinge chapter that opens a gate to us to then see kind of the fullness of why that is significant, right? And so as we're, as we're working our way through that, just think of it in that way. So he's, he's showing us um, something new. He's transitioning here. Um, and, and that's going to be helpful just to keep in mind. And so as we are spending a lot of time in Hebrews, you've likely heard a lot of the same things, a lot of the same themes over and over. And you're maybe wondering, you know, like, what, what's the point? Like, where is this going? Like, I hear what he's saying. He's saying it clearly. And he's saying it over and over, right? This, the writer has a pretty steady drumbeat of, of what he um, has to say about Christ and his superior nature. Um, and all of this really is a buildup of what he turns into this discussion. So the work of our high priest, like we're hearing a lot about the person in these previous chapters, and now he's shifting gears. We're going to learn a little bit more about his work and why it matters and what, what Jesus is doing. Um, And so the setting of Jesus's work is noticeably different from the location of Levitical priests. Right. And so that's a huge part of how this, this chapter starts off. The writer says that we have such a high priest, one who's seated at the right hand of the majesty in heaven, a minister in the holy places in the true tent that the Lord has set up, not man. And so right away, this is kind of a summary in some ways of what he said previously, right? Jesus isn't your typical earthly priest. And I think if you've been here for a while or listened to some of the sermons online, you definitely get that, right? And this is, is what he's, he's kind of reiterating here. But he's also helpfully saying, you know, now this is, this is the point of what I'm saying. So everything he said kind of up to this point, is kind of coming into focus. Like this is kind of the heart of what he has set up for us um, as the reader and for his original audience. So the point of what he's saying is we have a high priest who is not an earthly high priest, right? This priest is seated in heaven. He's seated next to the father. He's at the right hand of God, at the right hand of the majesty on high, right? He's a minister in holy places, not in temporal earthly places, and tents that are set up in the wilderness or in temples that have been built by other people. Um, But he operates, he ministers in a tent that the Lord himself has set up in the heavenly places. And so, you know, right off we can see, and I think this is just a helpful reminder, even though we've heard some similar themes so far that his priesthood isn't a priesthood that's of the earth, right? It's not something that's done in an earthly space. He's ministering from a place of authority at God's right hand where he's seated rather than standing as the Levitical priests would do, right? They were standing and working. I think we talked about this a while ago, even when I preached from um, Leviticus 16, like the day of atonement, how those Levitical priests are, they're laboring, right? They're, they're working from a, a physical stance of standing up and making these sacrifices, but Jesus isn't doing that. Jesus is in a posture of like, he's, he's seated, right? He's seated and ruling and reigning as he is working. So it's not that he's inactive, he's very active, but he's active from a place of of rest and authority. And so, you know, a little bit of this is a recap, and these are things that we have been looking at in detail, but let's just not miss, even though we've heard it before in different ways throughout the course of Hebrews, let's just not miss the uniqueness of the work of Jesus's ministry. So in another place, um, in verse 3, He says that every high priest is appointed to offer gifts and sacrifices, right? So in the Old Testament, the priests had to offer gifts and sacrifices. They had to bring 
animal sacrifices in and offer those up to the Lord for atonement for sin, right? And he also says here, thus it's necessary for this priest, for this heavenly priest to have something to offer. And again, it's not explicit, but we see that Jesus is not an earthly priest, right? And his offering to God is not an earthly offering. This is something distinct, something different. And, and that difference is very important, I think, for us. And, and so one thing that was really helpful for me in preparing for this is, is this book, which I know we've probably talked about a little bit before, but it's called Hebrews for You. And it's just a really practical, very easy to read commentary on this book that we're in, that we're spending so much time in. And so I would encourage you, if you don't have it, buy it, download it. And he, he walks you through short chapters that just go through the whole book. And, and this was really helpful. I and mean, he has a lot of helpful things to say. And one of them is this. He says that we wouldn't expect Jesus to bring an ordinary sacrifice. And why? Because Jesus is not an ordinary priest. And so the writer of Hebrews kind of goes on to explain that. And so let's look at verses four through six. He says, now, if he, if Jesus were on earth, he would not even be a priest. He would not be a priest at all. Since there are priests who offer gifts according to the law, but they serve as a copy and shadow of the heavenly things. And so we're seeing that Jesus is offering his his sacrifice is not like what the earthly priests have made, right? Because if that were the case, like we wouldn't, we wouldn't need this, this scenario in the first place. We wouldn't need a heavenly priest in, in the same way. And so um, his earthly offering, his, I mean, his unearthly offering is, of course, himself, right? Other priests, Levitical priests, priests in the temple, they, they didn't offer themselves up for atonement for sin, but Jesus has done that. And he kind of talks about that a little bit at the conclusion of chapter seven, which we looked at last week. <clears throat> if we go back to chapter seven towards the end, um, starting in 26, I'm just going to read that for us really quick. And it says, for it was indeed fitting that we should have such a high priest, holy, innocent, unstained, separated from sinners and exalted above the heavens. He has no need like those high priests, like the earthly ones to offer sacrifices daily first for his own sins. And then for the sins of the people, since he did this once for all when he offered up himself. And so the writer even says, you know, before, right before this, Jesus's offering is so unique and so different because he was the offering. And I think that's, that's a work of his ministry that we don't, we don't want to miss, right? That's, that's a huge part of what, what we're talking about all throughout this book. <clears throat> and he also says that priests made sacrifices according to the law, right? These requirements, but unlike the, the Levitical priests, Jesus himself, through the work, through his work on the cross, he is, he is the offering. His work has satisfied the requirements of the law. And so our forever priest has made a once-for-all offering, which we just looked at at the end of chapter 7. And then verse 5 mentions that these earthly priests, like their priesthood serves as a copy and a shadow of heavenly things. And so you see kind of a glimpse here of something that we're going to get into a little more detail in. but the earthly priests were pointing to something, right? Their, their work wasn't the ultimate work, right? They had to repeatedly make atonement for sin over and over and over for their own sin, for the people's sin. It was a continuous process, right? That, that never ended. That's why there were so many of them. There were lines of them. Uh, men died and the new priests came and then they died and then there were more priests, right? Because this was a continual process that had to be made. And so the writer of Hebrews says, you know, their work serves as a copy and shadow of heavenly things. But Jesus is the focal point of those, those heavenly things, right, that they're pointing to. 
He's the substance of the salvation uh, that they were working to secure for their people. And so his ministry is much more excellent, the writer says, and the covenant that he mediates is a better covenant because it's enacted on better promises, as we see in verse 6. And so after kind of all that's been set up to this point, verse 6 almost makes me, it almost makes me laugh uh, because it's, it's almost like, well, it's an understatement, right? You've just said all these things over the past seven and a half chapters uh, of, the, of this letter. And then, you know, you're saying that his ministry, Christ's ministry is more excellent. And then the covenant that he mediates is better. And it's like, well, I, I should hope so, right? After he's laid it out in this, in this helpful way, right? Um, he's, he's distinct, right? He's better. And he's doing these things in a more complete way than, than the priesthood was. And so this is kind of where we start to see the new part, right? This, this hinge chapter here is introducing a new element to, to the book, right? So far, we haven't talked a lot about the covenant, right? It was talked a little bit about last week, but chapter eight is getting into what this new covenant that um, God's perfect priest um, is the mediator of. And then kind of the rest of the book is going to spend a lot of time working through that and, and getting into more detail there. All right. And so we're not going to do that this morning in extreme detail, but he's, he's setting that up. So we're just going to take this introductory look at, at what he's talking about. There's a new covenant that is coming. And you may be thinking as you read this, you know, why, why is a new covenant needed, right? So same, same God, his same perfect work. He's still securing the same people for himself. You know, we may be asking that wasn't that the point all along of, of what God's been doing. And so what, what's wrong with, with the old covenant or with the first covenant? And I think that's, that's an important question to wrestle with too. <clears throat> Verse seven mentions, if we look at that, he says, for what, for if that first covenant had been faultless, there would not have been an occasion for a second. So he's saying there were faults in the first covenant. So, so what does he mean by that? And I think we need to work through that. Um, and, and one way to do that, just to illustrate it is, you know, here in the middle of winter in Wisconsin, and it's almost spring, thankfully, but as we're kind of working our way around our house, looking for things to do, what's one thing we almost always do every year? You go to your closet and you look at the old things that are in there and maybe throw them out you know, and, and go get some new things. Or maybe realize you don't even need new things. You just need to get rid of these old things. Um, and those old things are obsolete, right? You, you dispose of them. You don't need them anymore. Um, and is, is this kind of what, he's talking about with the old covenant and the new covenant um, similar, but not exactly right. I wouldn't, I wouldn't put it quite that way. It's not the same as throwing out old clothes or getting new stuff. Um, so this, the text is by no means saying that the old covenant was wrong or was sinful. And the Michael Kruger commentary mentioned that's really helpful in walking through that too. And in, in a simple way, you know, so the, the old covenant wasn't a wrong covenant because God instituted that covenant. And I think that's important. God's not making mistakes, right? His covenant promise was his covenant promise. And so what, what, was, what was the issue there? So I think rather the writer is saying that the old covenant was never really completely meant to provide the total complete salvation that it pointed to, right? And so it was a type and shadow, right? The writer even talks about the work of the priesthood being a shadow of things to come. And the covenant itself that they were doing that work within was that as well. And I think that could be really helpful as we think about, you know, did God make a mistake? Like, is he just making an update here? <laughs> um, 
And I think, you know, we need to know the answer is no, he didn't make a mistake, right? This was part of, part of his plan was to have salvation work out in this way and to have this first covenant that pointed to a greater, more complete one. And another way to illustrate that, which I can thank Josh for this illustration, give him credit or credits due, but is just thinking about as our church particularized last year, we, before we became a particular church, right? And if you're new to the PCA, we can explain that another time. But as we became a particular church, part of that was we didn't have our own session yet. We didn't have our own set of elders that our church selected to, to lead the church, right? And so as part of that process, we had a provisional session made up of other pastors from other churches that did the work of what ultimately our local church session would be doing, right? So what Josh and Jesse and I and Stephen James are doing kind of on a day-to-day basis, right? We didn't have that. And so another group of men did that. They weren't the session. They weren't the, the permanent session um, in an earthly sense, right? But they were pointing to kind of the work that we are doing as a session. And so that's another helpful way maybe to think about the, these covenants, right? That one was kind of pointing to the other. One finds its fulfillment in the other. <clears throat> and so you can just think of it as, you know, it was provisional, right? That first, that first covenant was a provisional one. It pointed to those promises that earthly priests could not completely fulfill, right? But they could point to it. <clears throat> As this kind of leads to the, the second point. So in Jesus, we see why the new covenant um, God, is, God has made with his people is, is necessary. And so the priestly ministry of Christ is so unlike anything we've seen, right, in earthly ministry. Uh, whether it be with the Levitical priesthood or anyone else. And so it makes sense that the covenant that he mediates, this new covenant, it makes sense that it's not, not like the other one. It's not like what came before it. And so the writer of Hebrews is helpfully reminding us here uh, that God himself said he would bring about a new covenant with his people. And he uses this passage from Jeremiah uh, 31, verses 31 through 34, to, to kind of illustrate that. And we read that in its fullness last week, and we talked about that a little bit earlier in the service. And so this is going to be a covenant that's unlike the one made with Israel before. And, and why is that, right? And that kind of gets back to what was wrong with the old covenant. And another, another way to think through that is that, you know, nothing was wrong with the covenant, nothing was wrong with God, but something was wrong with the people that were in covenant with God, right? People and their sinfulness, Israel and its sinfulness broke the terms of the covenant, which we can see even in the snippet of Isaiah 31 that, that shared with us, right? Um, in Jeremiah, the actions of the people had left Israel in a really bad place. They, they were in a bad state. And if you read the full chapter, like we did last week, it kind of goes into more detail on that. Um, and then just to go back to verse 9, so 8 verse 9, you know, the Lord says in Jeremiah, for they did not continue in my covenant. And I show no, no concern for them, declares the Lord. So God even shows us kind of what happened with this first covenant. The people broke it. And they, they chose to go their own way and do, do something different and to worship other gods. Uh, but we also see that God is, is stepping up to intervene, right? And he says in verse 10, this is the covenant that I will make with the house of Israel in those days. So all is not lost, right? We kind of see this dual um, dual nature of, you know, there was this, this problem, this sinfulness, this brokenness, and then a restoration that God is bringing 
about. <clears throat> and so this new covenant really lives up to its name, right? All the components of this covenant are new and they're different uh, than what's come before it in, in the first one. And so there are three main differences I want to point out. Um, the first is that there's a new way to receive the law in this covenant. Um, it's a more intimate way, right? And as we talk about the Ten Commandments on Sunday evenings, when we have our evening services, um, you know, we'll see, we'll talk a little bit more about that, how God gave the law initially to his people, but he's giving it in a new way now. In verse 10, he says, after those days, declares the Lord, I will put my laws into their minds and write them on their hearts. And so that's different, right? That's a different kind of giving of the law than what we see with Moses at Mount Sinai. The law here is shown not just to be something that we're to do, but it's something that we're to be, or we're to be something different altogether. So there's an internal um, nature of, of this covenant giving of the law that we're seeing. So the Lord is making us something different, a new people, a set apart people, right? And so there's an element that maybe we don't see as clearly in the first covenant that we do here in this new covenant. And that's kind of that mind and heart duality of, of it, right? And so we aren't just given the law. We aren't just given instructions by God to, to do what he says and be kind of robots, right? He's, he's concerned about our minds as well as our hearts. And that's what we see in this this new covenant, right? He's, he's going to put it into our minds. Like the Lord, instead of putting it on tablets, he's going to put it in the minds of his people. And then he's going to write it on the hearts of his people. And that's, that's a new way to interact with God, right? This is, this is something that wasn't possible before in the, in the, old, in the old covenant, right? There's, there's an intimate relationship that we see that is much more direct between God and the people than uh, what's been seen previously, especially in the Old Testament. <clears throat> Turn my page here. And so a lot of what maybe this makes you think of is the work of the Holy Spirit, right? Um, we even see in places like 2 Corinthians 2.17, Paul says, if anyone's in Christ, he's a new creation. The old has gone, the new has come, right? And so this gets at that same idea, this, this new way that God is working in his people this new covenant that he's making with them um, is one that it's making you completely new from the inside out, right? It's renewing your mind and your heart. It's not just a set of rules. And I think um, that's helpful for us to remember because we're so often prone to kind of view the Christian life and view God's word in terms of just being rules or just being things you have to do. And, and we can beat ourselves up so much when we don't do what we're supposed to, you know, um, or as people where I grew up would say, you know, we're not doing right. And I think we need to get away from that, right? Get away from that notion and, and see kind of what type of relationship God is seeking to have with his people here, right? It's a, a total new identity, mind and heart, like the whole person is affected. I mean, as part of that, there's, there's a new way to relate to God, right? So more directly. In verse 11, uh, the Lord says in Jer through Jeremiah, that, and they shall not teach each one to his neighbor and each one to his brother saying, know the Lord, for they shall all know me from the least to the greatest. Um, and so, you know, there's not like a hierarchy of people within, within God's people, right? There aren't these better, more holy ones, like you see kind of in the temple structure, in the structure of like the Pharisees and the Sadducees even. Um, but everyone is kind of on a common, common ground, right? They're all God's people. We're all in need of him. He's revealing himself 
in the same way to each of us, right? By the spirit, if, if you're in Christ and you have the spirit, right? That's not a different spirit than I might have, right? It's the same Holy Spirit. It's the same new, uh, newness of life, right? That's generated by the Lord that we have. And so I think that's important, especially, you know, practically in a world where there are so many things that we like to look for to be different, right? There's this, this people group over here, they're different. I'm smarter than this person. I am more educated than this person, right? We, we like to draw lines like that. I and mean, we see things like that play out in the world around us all the time, um, but that's not how it's to be with God's people, right? We're relating to God from a, a place of commonality, right? We all need him. We all um, are experiencing his grace um, in similar ways. <clears throat> and the third way, um, that there, so we've seen a new, a new way to relate to God, a new way that uh, the law is given to his people. And now we're seeing a new priest to mediate God's new covenant, right? And so this kind of comes full circle as we're looking at this chapter. In verse 12, we see the Lord says, for I'll be merciful toward their iniquities and I'll remember their sins no more. And so there's that language of, no more kind of going on that um, this is permanent, right? This is the permanent forgiveness, which kind of goes back to this permanent priest who is permanently interceding for his people, right? And you hopefully can kind of see how this all is working together to show us the importance of the work of, of Christ. And so, um, you know, we've seen a lot of the same, a lot of the same things, a lot of the same elements or things we've talked about through this chapter, um, but also, just some new and important things to think through about God's covenant, right? That he's making with his people. Um, I keep losing my notes. I'm sorry. Give me one second. <clears throat> and so kind of just to, to come, come full circle, right? We talked a little bit about the secret garden being a book that um, just kind of paints a nice picture of restoration and making things new again. Right. Um, I'm going to go back for a moment to another garden. So there's the Garden of Eden at the beginning of Genesis that we see where people are living in perfect harmony, perfect unity with the Lord. And then what happens, right? They, they break that unity, right? The people, the created ones break that unity. They break that relationship that they have with the one who's created them. And there are consequences to that, right? And I think that's another helpful thing to look back on um, in verse nine, because the Lord says they did not continue in my covenant. So when Israel broke the covenant requirements, it says the Lord showed no concern for them. But does that mean that the Lord walked away from them? Obviously not, right? And he didn't walk away from Adam and Eve in the garden, but it did mean there were consequences to their sin, just like there are consequences for our sin today. And so we can see there's a fractured relationship um, at the beginning of scripture and Hebrews is, is still dealing with that, right? There's still that fractured relationship that the priesthood of the Old Testament was seeking to remedy and to point to, right? And there's that fractured relationship that, that we're seeing our perfect priest, that Jesus has come to remedy permanently, right? To bring permanent restoration, intimate restoration with his people. And I think that's something that's just critical, critical for us to see. So as you're sitting here today, if you're, you know, if you're a believer, that's true of you, right? You've been permanently forgiven of, of the brokenness in your life that has kept you from the Lord, right? Of the sins that you've committed, the things that you've done, the things that you will do. There's a permanence in, in the forgiveness 
uh, that you have. And it comes from this work that we've been talking about, right? This high priest of a better covenant who is, who is seated right now, but working and ministering on your behalf, right? And, and will always be if you're in Christ. And so let that be something that we don't just know with our minds, but something that we are affected by, like in our hearts. Let that affect our emotions. Let that affect what we do. Let that affect how we love those around us. But, but for sure, let that affect how we love the Lord, right? In light of what he has done for us. There's this permanence of forgiveness and there's this permanence of him ministering on our behalf because there's a permanence of his love for his people, right? He, he will not be unfaithful in his covenant faithfulness, right? He's not ever going to break the covenant, even though his people have done that over and over and over. And you and I have done that over and over in our hearts and actions. And so if you're in Christ, let that encourage you today as you, as you sit here and as you battle the winter blues, if you're experiencing that, once you're forgiven, you're always forgiven, right? He's never going to leave you. He's never going to forsake you. Um, as the song that we sang earlier said, he's not going to let your soul be lost because he's purchased it and he, he will not give it away to someone else. And so if you are here and you're not in Christ, you're not a believer, if you're kind of listening to these things and, and wondering maybe why you should care, you know, what's, what's the why that, that I should care about these things? I hope that, that some of this is coming through and showing that this new covenant that God has made to his people through Christ, right, is, is something we need, right? We need this, this covenant in our lives because we are sinful people and we, we are daily doing things to rebel against a perfect and holy and good God. And these are things that require divine punishment, right? Based on what we see in the scriptures. And, and that's a reality. And, um, and that's not something we can really get around or hope goes away. And, and so if, if you're here and you're not in Christ, know that this type of salvation, this type of permanent forgiveness, this type of, um, intimate relationship with the Lord can be yours in Christ. It's available to anyone who calls on the name of the Lord. And so even if you're not a Christian here, be encouraged that this is available to you. It's not something that you're not, you're too bad or too far gone to, to have. It's something that's available to you in Christ because of his ministry on our behalf. And so as we, go through the rest of our week as we come back tonight even and start kind of thinking about um, the Ten Commandments and, and how God has related to his people then. Let us think about how he's relating to us now, right? And um, in, this, in this better covenant, this is, this is true of us, right? We're people living under this new covenant. And so let us remember that we serve a God who will always be merciful to our iniquities and he'll, he'll always forget our sins completely as we call on him, as we live faithfully, for him. And so let's pray. Father, we thank you for the truth of your word. We thank you that we can see the point in, in all of who Jesus is. We thank you that you've shared the, the, the clarity of, of his work with us in your word so that we can see how significant his work and ministry, even now seated in the heavenly places, how significant that is for us. Lord, I pray that you would help us to be changed by the truth of your word, that you would help us to be changed by the reality that our perfect priest is ruling and reigning and ministering on our behalf right now. And I pray that uh, we wouldn't leave here not, not thinking about that and, and being affected by that in some way, Lord. I pray that you would help us to love you with our minds, but also with our hearts, and that you would continue to use the scriptures 
to do that. I pray for the remainder of our time this morning that you would just continue to grow our love for you, that you continue to make us new. And we ask this in Christ's name. Amen.